Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic. Rather than making recommendations because everyone's circumstances are different, we talk to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision. My name is Mike Blake, and I am your host for today's program. I am a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe in your favorite podcast aggregator, and please also consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Uh, Our topic today is, should I write a book? And uh, this is a topic that is is near and dear to my heart because, you know, books have become, in some respect, easier to write and circulate than ever before. And and I do sort of have this secret desire to get about five or six books out, which which surprises a lot of people because they were surprised when they learned I could read. Um, but in point of fact, I think that that there's a voice in there that that wants to put things down on either. Uh, dead tree paper or or virtual paper, and I think a lot of people are thinking about that as well. And it may be people who are like me that are in the services area that wish to establish and reaffirm our reputations as subject matter experts to the market. It may be people that have an artistic bent, and this is you know a book is a, in effect their canvas for self expression. Or it could be somebody that simply feels like they have a story to tell or a lesson to teach and, 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 and a book is, is their way of, of getting that lesson out to the world. And that's sort of their, their contribution to society. Um, and, and we all know there's proliferation of books out there under various names. They could be books. They could be ebooks. They could be, uh, they could be something else. And, you know, I think that, you know, as we record today in 2019, yeah, you know, th- this is a topic that really wouldn't have even mattered 20 years ago. Um, you know, the, the notion that somebody would just somehow, you know, write a book, um, was a much larger undertaking because of the way the industry was structured, because of the way technology worked or, or didn't work. And uh, it's just another one of those signs of the times that, that, that technology is enabling us all to, uh, put a voice out there in a way that, uh, for good or bad, we simply were not able to. And joining us today is, is my pal, B. Ray, who is with Michael Levin Writing Company, uh, with the awesome tagline, their books make their clients happy, famous, trusted, and rich. You have a story to tell, a business case to make, a family history to capture. Your book is the ultimate leave behind on sales calls, and I agree with that. The best way to record the culture of the enterprise you've built and your legacy for your family. B herself is an innovation expert, and she and I know each other from back in the days when Startup Lounge was active in Savannah, Georgia, and uh, she was the director of executive director of our partner organization, uh, Creative Coast there. Um, and now she's helping thought leaders share their stories, passions, and knowledge as they invent, launch, and promote new products. As the former chair of the Entrepreneurship Practice Group and Advantage Media Group, Forbes Books, 
um, B, further leverage the wisdom and experience of these innovators through branding, visibility, marketing efforts substantiated by the Forbes book's brand name. Uh, B is an innovator herself. She successfully built and eventually sold Source Harbor Incorporated. Along the way, she expanded that company to serve thousands of clients internationally and has consulted with hundreds of startups. She served as the executive director of the Creative Coast, a regional nonprofit building the innovation community in Savannah, Georgia. By the way, one of the most awesome cities anywhere. If you don't, if you've never been there, go. Uh, if I can ever afford to retire there, that is where I'm going. Um, where she hosted TEDx Creative Coast and the innovation conference known as Geek End. Her years of energy and effort are an immediate benefit to entrepreneurs across 26 countries and throughout the United States. Um, she holds an MBA with distinction from Harvard Business School and is a summa cum laude graduate of Emory, Uni Emory University um, and a bunch of other good things. And last but not least, and we will get to this tonight, um, she has written her own book or is in the, in the process of putting her own finishing touches on that book, What Harvard Taught Me But My Kids Made Me Learn, which is expected to arrive in 2019. I know she's looking forward to sharing how her experiences as a mother of three taught her how to negotiate, communicate, and adapt in the business world. And I think there's a lot that I'm going to learn from that, too, as a father of uh, of two who I think already can negotiate better than I can. Uh, B. Ray, thank you so much for being on the program. I'm so happy to be here, Mike. This is wonderful. So uh, let's sort of get down to it. You know, Normally, I, I start these podcasts with a definition because we're talking about a, a fairly technical topic, but I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say everybody knows what a book is. So why would I want to, why would I want to write a book? You know, I, I don't have, a, I don't have time to even read all the books that I would like to read. Why am I going to take that time and write one instead? Well, the main reason is to, that people want to be known, loved, and trusted, and businesses want to hire people that they know, love, and trust. And more and more businesses are deeper in whomever they're working with, whether it's your accounting firm, your lawyer, even your um, orthodontist. You know, I helped them, an orthodontist write a book because he explained that um, the impact of straightening teeth on a child's sleep and what was happening in sleep and the ability for that child to do better in school. So so I, I thought orthodontia was all about you know, just keeping your your smile pretty. Well, it turns out that the fact that this doctor spends more time understanding the, the numerous impacts, he wrote a book about it. Uh, and, and so so I guess what I'm trying to say is you introduced the podcast, which was excellent, by, more. you know, this was not something you could have done 20 years ago because technology was different. Um and the distribution was different. That's, that's very true. I would argue that in addition, the knowledge base was different. And so one of the reasons fewer and fewer people publish with a traditional publisher is because we are not all reading the same books. You just said yourself, there's 10 or 12 books you would love to read. Those are probably not the 10 or 12 that are on my list, is that we want more specific stories, more connected to our lives. I want to know not what is the most popular book in the country, but I want to relate to someone who's more like me, who has insights about things that I need. 
And so one of the reasons you might write a book is because you have a unique and special experience and perspective that can help some people, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, maybe not a few billion people. And yet helping thousands of people is actually a really great thing to do. And sharing your own thoughts in that way is a great endeavor. So you touched on something that I think I want to jump to because if you if you really haven't looked at this, and if you're people of a certain age, such as myself, you you think, oh, uh, I need a book. I then need to, I guess, find a way for John Wiley and Sons or McGraw Hill or you know somebody else that's gonna gonna pick this thing up. Is that is that necessarily the case anymore? Is that is that gateway or that barrier to entry still important? Uh, it is not, and, and, and I'm a big fan of both of, you know, those companies and this working with a traditional publisher can be great and it might not work for you at all. And I have had the privilege of working with hundreds of authors. And what I find is that that industry continues to consolidate and to minimize in such a way that the services one would have gotten in the past, like marketing services are smaller and fewer. And so it may not be a good experience if you, one, go down that route, even if you're successful, then the distribution of the book may not lead to what you're hoping for. What also can happen is, you know, they're in the business of selling books, not in the business of selling you or your company or your idea, which can be great as long as your incentives are aligned with what you want with your book. And so if they're not aligned, what can happen is a very specific methodology that maybe is something you go over in your consulting practice is a way you use as a business card, is what you started talking about, and bringing people to your company, make it watered down in the book that's trying to be sold to a million people. And so right off the get-go, just the book you envision in your head depending on what level of control you want, it may be better to self-publish or a hybrid publish than going the traditional route because you lose a lot of control. There's a lot of talk about how you lose money. You get 40 cents on the book versus, you know, $10 on each book sold. But, But a big problem is, are you actually putting out there the book that is in your heart and mind and soul? And, you know, you touched on something there that I want to, I want to kind of, break from the script a little bit and, and drill into, because I think that's a, an important point. You know, the, the, the business model of book selling and the life model of the author may not very, may not be in alignment, right? To sell a book, if you're going to really do it the way McGraw Hill to put on a, on a bestseller list, that kind of becomes your job, doesn't it? And maybe you don't want that to become your job. Absolutely. That's exactly right. And, um, you know, you mentioned me and my my own book, and, and I'll just use this as a very specific example, is um, I write not exclusively to women, but sometimes to women, um, because I'm a mom, and I am a woman, and I'm a, a business person. And um, what I have found is that we as women choose to belittle our own experiences in the home and outside of the corporate world, even though they're very, very relevant to 
learning about how to deal with people and learning how to negotiate and all those things you said earlier, I never speak from a platform at corporations to conferences uh, or in my book as a victim or about those bad men who don't treat me well enough because that's not something I think about. However, there's a huge market for that. There's a lot after the Me Too movement. There's a lot of energy and there's, um, I have actually been approached by traditional publishers, write the book in this way because there is a market for if only men would pay a dollar and a dollar to men and women and the gender pay gap and all of this whole language that those are important factors um, and there are important things to fight for. But I'm going to fight it from the perspective I know, which is I'm going to get better at raising my hand. I'm going to get better at taking risks. I'm going to get better at stepping forward, not about saying I'm a victim. And the point I'm trying to make here is I have personally been approached, hey, if you change your book to say something that wasn't in your heart, mind, and soul, we can sell it. That's not been my personal choice. And I know 30 other people who've made a similar choice to me. Because what was more, if you're going to make go through the effort of writing a book, it's a it's a long journey and it sticks with you a long time. My encouragement is make it the book you want it to be. And you know, I, I would think you know the thing about a book, even even by today, <clears throat> you know, it, it, still if you if you compare it to other forms of communication media, it a book still has a permanency to it that you know even a blog doesn't. A YouTube video, a Facebook post, whatever, an Instagram, uh, whatever it's called, a gram. I don't know. I'm not an Instagram, you know, tweet, whatever. A, a book is still different in that regard, isn't it? That, you know, once it's out there, either on, on dead tree paper or virtual paper, at some point, I think you, most people would, would have a need to be proud of that out there because if you're not, it ain't going away. Correct. And it is all about, I mean, I love that the word author is part of authority. It is all about establishing your authority. So be clear on what authority you want to be establishing. Be clear on who you are on that paper because this is where you have your chance to shape it. So let's let's do a quasi role play here, but what I'm really doing is I'm getting I'm getting free consulting under the guise of giving you a podcast interview opportunity. <laughs> But uh, but I've got a book and yeah you know, I've got several um, several books in my head that I think I want to write. Do do I just start writing? Do I do the Snoopy cartoon thing where I'm on my on my doghouse with a typewriter and say it was a dark and stormy night? Or how, how do you? What are the first steps toward that? You know that goal. Well, that's a great question, and you certainly can. Um, most people start to at least have an outline and a sense. Um, the kind of questions you're thinking is, what is the book I want to write and for whom and then why? Um, I do recommend being, I don't want to say selfish, but a little bit. Like, know your purpose for writing the book because that will help you define your audience and your youth, and it will certainly keep you motivated. So I've worked with people who are writing a book because they just hope that one of their grandkids will read it someday. They, they don't want to die without their story somewhere written down. And that's what they're going to do. Um, 
maybe it'll get published in a, in a place and authors, people around the world will read it, but it was really just about a legacy. That's a great reason. I've helped people write books because their need um, is to drive business to their company. Now, those kinds of people may be selling $40 jeans. Usually they're selling a complicated relational relationship kind of product or sale. So a $150,000 on average um, way that it's consulting, whether it's for manufacturing or setting up an insurance captive or whatever, where their wisdom and knowledge and the sense to be trusted is, is so critical. You can't get that across in a phone call. They want their ideas out. And they, they want to be trusted, and that's their way that they attract people to their company. Um, some people want to launch a speaking career. Some people, you know, so, so understanding your why, um, to borrow from Simon Sinek, is, is really, really important before you go too far in writing your book. Um, and, and then there's the how. What I will say is I learned over time that the average entrepreneur takes around three years to write his or her own book, and unfortunately, fewer than 40% of the entrepreneurs who start out on that personal endeavor finish. And that's why people like the Michael Levin Writing Company exist, is people who are running their own company have, they have so much at stake every two hours that they spend just writing, not working in the company. And so it's constantly the battle, you know, the, the most urgent thing, and the book never gets done. And so it becomes this um, very costly endeavor, just an opportunity cost. So, you know, you said, you said another thing. You're, you're going to make us rip, to, rip up the script, which is great, because I, I can do that with you because <laughs> you're smarter than I am um, empirically. And, 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 and that is that you say something that kind of runs against what a lot of us, I think almost everybody is taught and in a, a hardwired way, which is cater to your audience, cater to your audience, cater to your audience. And while I think you're acknowledging kind of the existence of the audience at, at the end of the day, if you're going to, if you're going to produce a book that you're going to feel is worthwhile at the end, it's really about what you want to, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing is that it's really about what you want to put out there to the world. And then if people, if people buy it, buy into it, engage with it, great. But that's just kind of the way that it's got to go. Yes. I mean, I, one of the first questions we ask people is, who is this book for? And what are you going to do for them? Um, and so, and, and why why are they going to do what you want them to do? It may be that they you want to motivate them to take better care of their health. Great. It may be that you want them to call you to take better care of their health. It, we don't know, but we, the, one of the very first questions is, who are you writing for? Um, so, so I do care about the audience, but before that, you had an idea for the book, and it really needs to be your idea that deep in your heart and your passion connected to the life that you are ready to lead as an author. And so whether that's a business person who has a book, whether that's a, a speaker who has a book, or whether that's I'm, I'm a grandparent, I'm, I'm leaving a legacy that has a book, 
this book is becoming who, a part of who you are, and you have to have a reason for wanting to write it, and that will help define your audience. And, and then you can start um, tailoring to that audience, and you have to, or otherwise it won't be a good book. But I, what I don't recommend is go out, survey the world, and see what book is missing. Interesting, because I've actually heard exactly that advice given, uh, given many times. So t- tell me more about that. Why why is that a bad idea? Because we don't live in. Because um, well, you're going to think I'm an old fuddy duddy. Um, but because we don't watch Beaver Cleaver on TV anymore, is basically the reason. And let me explain that. So forty years ago, you watched, you consumed video, television, the same, you and every other neighbor were watching the same thing because there were three channels and we all watched the same thing. We consumed information in a certain way. And my guess is you didn't watch that last night. Am I right? Yep. And you didn't watch even the same thing as everyone on your street. And if you're like much of America, you didn't even watch everything that was the same, even of people in your home. So not only is it not consistent, three options down the street, most of us watching the same thing and talking about it and at the water cooler the next day, we are self-selecting and sometimes it's independently created content like YouTube videos, TEDx talks, so on and so forth. So the way we consume information is so totally different than the way it was years ago at that time publishing of individual books at certain channels. We need so many mysteries. We need so many adventure stories. We need so many biographies. And oops, we don't have a recent biography of Abe Lincoln for 10-year-olds. We needed to fill that. That is not the way information is consumed today. It's quite the opposite. We we create um, whether it's video content or written content as a way of connecting with people, who do we want to connect with? Is it based on our faith? Is it based on our geography? Is it based on our clients? And so I want to write a book that helps me be who I want to be and connect with the people I want to connect with. I have a, a, one of, a, I got an email today from a friend who went to Harvard Business School who wrote a book about parenting and leveraging Harvard Business School. Very, very similar in some ways as my book and not at all similar, and it won't be used in the same ways. But we became friends because our books were similar. But never did she think, oh, gosh, you're writing on that topic? I can't. Or did I think you're writing on that topic? I can't. Yeah, and, and to some extent, right, it, it probably kind of reaffirms the fact you're, you may be onto something. Yes. If, if one person, other person thinks it's worth writing that book, that would tell me there's 10,000 people that think it's reading that book. Exactly. So, um, and, and, but it wouldn't be the case if there were only one spot on a network or only one spot on the McGraw-Hill shelf for this type of book. But that's not the way books are distributed, written, et cetera, today. So, uh, and this actually, this does circle back then to a, a question I actually had prepared to ask for today, which is, <laughs> you know, given 
all of the the media that that bombards us and and is available, you know, I mean, are are, are books on their way out, or are books still a real thing? So it's so interesting because many times you've also in this podcast talked about um, you know a paper book or an online book, and I believe that not only are books very much relevant today. It's funny I'm I'm looking at a bookshelf right now, totally filled with books, um, but I, I think paper books are still very relevant, even though I'm a Audible fan. I I listen to books often, and and the reason is because they are a way of connecting with people. So uh, more and more people are writing books, more and more people are writing books to connect with their audience. It may not be a billion people. It may not even be 300,000 people. But writing a book, well, take the guy, for example, whose client is $150,000 every time he gets a client. This gentleman wrote a book, put it in the hands of fewer than a thousand people, and his business increased by $5 million in the first year because it didn't take many people to learn to know, love, and trust him. Does that make sense? It, it does. And by the way, as an aside, I have stolen that phrase because I'm, I'm familiar with the, the phrase, no like and trust. No love and trust <laughs> is so much better. So kudos to you. And if you hear lots of other people that are using that, it's because I stole it from you and told everybody they could have it. I appreciate that. I was told one time that, um, you know, the first time you borrow, you give credit. The second time, you know, and I was talking and -and so-and-so says. The next time you say, so-and-so taught me to say. The third time you forget about so-and-so altogether and you just own it. (laughs) That's right. And by the fourth time, it just came to me one day. I don't know where. (laughs) But you're welcome to borrow it if you want. Um, There you go. Yeah. So, and and, and I do think, you know, there there is still some, there is still a mystique uh, around a book in spite of, in spite of all the other media that, that, you know, compete for, for attention you know, I, I give books a lot because I recommend that people read a book and then to guilt them into reading it, I'll often buy it for them and and send it to them. So they'll at least lie to me the next time they see me and say they read it. Um, but, you know, it, it is it is a very powerful calling card. And, and I, I'll share kind of my own story. So years ago, I co-authored a book called uh, Entrepreneurship Back to Basics. And it's it's long, long out of print. But I remember I was applying for a job and they asked me for a writing sample. I says, okay, if I send you a copy of my book, right? <laughs> you just you sort of hear a pin drop at the interview at that point. Um, an extreme case, but still an, still a, a, an anecdote of, of the impact that a book could make. That's um, totally fabulous. And, you know, a lot of times it's okay if someone doesn't read the whole book, but one of the most powerful sales tools is to say, you know, hey, Michael, it was great to speak with you today. I really appreciated the questions you had on my marketing strategy, um, please turn to page 26 in the book that I've enclosed. Boom. Yeah. And of course, then there's, if you want the benefit of reading the book without having to actually read it, you can just hire me. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Um, so l- let's say we've, we're, we're well along the way to a book being written, or maybe it's even written. 
is is it as hard to get a book picked up by by Amazon and distributed to Kindle or iBooks or something like that? Is is it hard at all, or can anybody just sort of do it? How, how you know what, what's your assessment of of that electronic distribution medium in terms of making it harder or easier to actually get a book out there? Well, I think anybody can do it. Most people need help with how. So certainly making sure the book is a great quality. You know, you, you do want a an excellent manuscript, well-written, but that's not enough. You definitely have to have someone who's helping you do the layout, make it look excellent, pull out images and illustrations and um, even font type and book jackets, all of that matters. And so I've never met someone who can do all of that, him or herself. You know, that that usually takes a team who can get that done. Um, And that's where, you know, hybrid publisher and that's where, you know, our company helps people find that right team at the Michael Levin Writing Company so that because what people don't want to do is finally get this book out of themselves, finally have this manuscript and then say, now what? And still run into all of the hurdles that they were experiencing before, you know, they, they took the steps to get the book actually done. That said, you know, Amazon will put a book up and, and so you don't have to go to McGraw Hill to have to be a published author. And you still get, and you get to retain much more of the profit of the book, which is excellent. But there's still a science around how do you get it into the right category? How do you get the ISBN number? How do you, um, make sure that it becomes an Amazon bestseller? Because Amazon does a great job of creating certain categories. And, and there's a system around making sure enough people are voting for you at the time so that you can be a bestseller. And and so there, it's not that hard. You just, you know, I, my husband will kill me for saying this. I don't even change my oil in my car because I don't know how to do that. Right. right. <laughs> uh, he does. And he knows how to take the radiator out too. Um, and if he doesn't, he'll learn on YouTube. That's not me. So my philosophy is get the people who are excellent at doing these things for you so that you can feel comfortable and go do the things that you're excellent at. So you mentioned in passing that it, assuming the book is finished at all, that it would take a, an entrepreneur roughly three years to complete a book. Is that reflective of best practices or is that reflective more that there have been a bunch of fits and starts and mistakes and restarts and, and that's not really an efficient path. And if you do it kind of the, the B Ray way that, that, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily take a full presidential cycle to do that. No, I think the best practice is 90 to 120 days. So, uh, good. Yeah. Because I'm not nearly that patient if I'm going to write my book. So let's, let's walk through that. If, if, if you're talking to somebody and, and they're serious about writing a book, what, how does that, time typically get allocated? Does somebody take 90 days off to write the book and they, they go to a, a, you know, a Nepalese monastery where they're not going to be disturbed <laughs> or do they take one or two days a week where they just sort of lock themselves in an office and do that? Or is it, you know, the, the, the method where somebody gets up at four in the morning and the first two and a half hours a day they write, how, how does that typically work? So what, what, 
I have experienced in the last few years, both with the Michael Levin Writing Company as a ghost writing company and when I ran the Forbes books, is that they realize they want to buy their... What they're really doing, a CEO of a company, is buying his or her own time. They're saying, I don't want to delay fits and starts because there's something about our brains that actually gets ourselves in the way of writing our own book because we want to be perfect and writing isn't a perfect endeavor. You have to get it out and then it needs to be edited and shaped and moved around. And so most people who have not been trained as writers and have 10 years of history as a writer with things that are not emotionally connected to themselves are not going to be the best at writing their own book. They're going to be the best at speaking their own book. And so what they typically do is say, I want to hire a partner to help me with this book. And then the first thing that happens is there's a 90 minute phone call where there's a conversation about who's the audience, why are you doing the book? And let's work through what is the book, meaning the outline of the book and the book plan. And then usually the writers will go back and take probably six to eight hours with that 90 minutes, listening to it, transcribing it, re-listening to it, reshaping it, understanding, doing some research, and then deliver back sometimes a 10 to 12 page detailed outline, sometimes with holes. This is the way I see the book. Here's where I fit these stories in. What do you think? And so now we're working off of a book plan. And from that book plan, uh, sometimes weekly phone calls are scheduled, sometimes every other week, depending on the schedule of the book and whether there's sort of a launch event. Do we need this book to be done by X date? What are we aiming for in order to hopefully get the 90 to 120 days? And oftentimes the entire book is interviewed and then the writer goes away and delivers back just the first three chapters, never the whole book. That's too much to digest for the author. So the ghostwriter will deliver back the first um, two or three chapters. Are we? Did I get the voice right? Are we on the right path? That's the time to iterate and decide how to shape the next two thirds of the book. Um, and within ninety days, an, an excellent ghostwriter, ghostwriting team should be able to deliver to a CEO his or her book written in his or her voice about his or her story. And, and so, you know, kind of working, working through that process, you know, and, and it certainly makes sense to me. If, if you're retaining a ghostwriter, you know, you're surely buying, buying back that time. And, and by the way, I've got to assume being a ghostwriter is extremely hard because writing to capture someone else's voice, uh, has, I know is excruciatingly difficult because I've tried to work with ghostwriters in just small articles. And it's, it's never worked very well. And I, I think it's, it's something that's very hard to do. Meaning that if you find somebody like you guys that can do it, you know, that is a precious commodity. I think so. I can't, I cannot do it. So let me be clear. Um, but, uh, the Michael Levin writing company has written over 700 books in 25 years. And I've, um, been tracking 
but for the last uh, five years. And what I find is there are people who can do it. And interestingly, I've, I've spent enough time with them that these actual ghostwriters will say, it's, it's easier for me to write your book than my own. Because all of those emotional things that, that are those blocks that get ourselves in the way, get in our, we put in our own way, don't happen. Um, but it is one reason why the calls are tape recorded is there's a lot of time spent getting that voice correct, getting even that like cadence of stories correct. So um, you touched on something I think is, is, is an important um, definitional point, and that is editing and proofreading. I don't think those are necessarily the same thing. And if you agree with that, can you explain to our audience what the difference is between those two steps? Yeah, so editing, um, you know, they're, they're closely related, but editing is, is a little more thorough and has a little more power. So there's ghostwriting. Um, there's really an overseeing. So Michael Levin actually does all the book plans and he does the overseeing of the whole company. Um, but there's dozens of ghostwriters who are very carefully, closely matched specifically to the author. Um, but they're never going to do their editing themselves. And so then there's an overall editor who's paying attention to tying the written work back to the author, back to the transcripts, back to the plan. Um, and then the, the proofreading is more the, the very final, um, you know, before it gets out the door. Right. Make sure there are no glaring errors and so forth as opposed to high-level kind of structure elements, I'm guessing. Exactly. Okay. And whereas proofreading, because editing can be, proofreading is making sure what's there is perfect. Editing is making sure we have everything we need there and identifying what's not there. Yeah. Okay. So um, we, we've touched on, on this next question a little bit. But uh, I don't want to skim over it because I, I do think it's important. What's your opinion of ebooks? Well, I think a lot of people have them, need to have them. Um, it's personally, as a parent, driving me crazy that my kids almost only read ebooks because they read them on their phone and then, whoops, there goes the text message. It's, it's like an invitation for distraction. Um, so I don't think they're going away. Um, but there is a lot lost. I also don't think they're, I, I'm positive they're not replacing paper books where you can highlight and send and, um, give as a gift and wrap up in a way that cannot be done as effectively in an ebook. And in terms of impact on a reader, do you think there's a difference? Do you think that maybe readers look at ebooks? And, and I want to make a distinction. I, I don't necessarily mean a, uh, a formal analog book that also happens to have a Kindle variant, but I, I'm more referring to kind of the promotional ebooks that you see out there, and they're often called an ebook, and may, maybe they're not even worthy of the name. They should be called something else. But you know, maybe they're maybe they're 15, maybe they're 50 or 80, 90 pages. It'd be it'd be considered almost too short a book to publish in paper format. But you see, kind of that that genre of book that appears in a digital format. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And um, 
you know, there are certain things that are, that just need to be shared and they are sort of too short. Um, that would never make it as a book that also has an electronic version. I, I, I hear what you're saying. So I, I tell people get some of those out. It's definitely not my specialty and I don't personally have a big desire. So I, I don't know that I have enough experience to say, you know, to have an opinion about them. I, it makes sense to me that sometimes people have a shorter message to give and a 50 page ebook can get it done. Okay. So now I'm, I'm curious on your view and I think our, our listeners are curious and it's, it's, it's an off, it's an awkward, almost insipid question, but I think it has to be asked. And that is, you know, how easy or hard is it to actually produce a book that people are willing to, to pay for? And, and it, you know, for most people, is that even a realistic or desirable goal? Um, well, I think it's the, the hardest part is digging deep in your heart. So I, I've been involved with the publishing of hundreds of books and every one of them has met that bar. They, they are, uh, some people are paying for them. What I'm not sure is that enough people are paying for them that the author is getting a million dollars. So I am not a fan of publishing. I, I, I never say to someone, go write a book, you'll be a millionaire. Because it's selling, making money selling books is hard work. Um, so it depends, you know, you're not going to get very far if your book is of bad quality and you can't find some market who will pay for it. Oftentimes, the way to get to that is you might give it away to other people. Um, but it has to be excellent quality, has to have an excellent book, has to have a great title, um, has to know its audience. But that's a big leap from, you know, I sold books at the back of a, of a conference uh, to I became a millionaire selling books. And and I, I say a million dollars because it's really not worth your time and effort if all you're going to get is $200,000. But there are easier ways to make a living. Um, and so that is really hard. And I don't think it's about the quality of the book at that point. I think it's about the quality and the dedication of your marketing and how many cities did you run through to get on the radio station and how many public speaking engagements are you doing and how did you work your way onto the Today Show? Yeah. Um, so it's about most the business people of the don't book. want to do all of that work because they don't need to, that their book is making them a million dollars because it's tied to a business that they're doing or it's tied to some other reason. So they don't go through the effort to get on the Today Show. Right. And plus, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, that, that process, if you want your book itself to be that kind of income generator, the book itself becomes a business and it requires a substantial investment. You know, I, I don't think you just sort of write it, info at today, today show NBC.com or whatever their domain is, is. Hey, can I come on? I'd really like you to interview me. You know, that, that in itself is a huge financial investment. I used to help software companies sell their software. And what we always said was no matter how great it is, you can't just cut a hole in the side of the building and hope that people start driving up like Burger King. 
Darn it. It's true with books. So um, we're running out of time. Before we do it, if, you, if it's okay with you, I'd like to shift gears to your own upcoming book. Um, and it's going to be released uh, late, later this year. Are you self-publishing that or is that going through a formal publishing house? I am actually self-publishing that. And um, I'm really excited about it. We're, we're finally getting into the home stretch here. And and if if it's not a uh, a major state secret, what what is the what is the voice of that book, and what is what is the idea that you just had to get out of yourself, and and into that book? Oh, thank you. So I had the privilege. I sold a company, and I had the privilege of taking about six years off of corporate work to raise my children, and I actually did so on a grizzless island in South Carolina, Defusky Island. So. Basically, it's exactly next to heaven, and it was a perfect experience. Um, but when I went back to work, which was at the Creative Coast, which you've already mentioned, I, I was terrified. Did I have any skills? What could I do? How could I help someone? Could I even find a job? Um, and it was even way worse when I did, because then I thought of all the ways I would fail because I had been at home with my children for six years. And what amazed me is, I got floods of thank you notes. Thank you for that introduction to the venture capitalist. Thank you for this great event that you put on. Thank you for the strategic consulting. And I I kept wondering, what were we doing that was helping these people? And then I kept wondering specifically, where did I personally get the skill to help these 300 plus companies? And over and over and over, the answer to that last question was not that I got the skill because I had attended the Harvard Business School. It wasn't that I got the skill because I had decades of experience as an entrepreneur. Over and over again, the ability that I had to connect people, to make people feel comfortable at an event, to set out a vision for where we were going, I received because I was raising children. So I wanted to talk about it. And um, and and what what is the is there one lesson that stare that stands out as to uh, you know the most important or the most uh, obvious that your children taught you? Um, there isn't one. Well, there, there's dozens of them, but I, I think the main, the overarching lesson is that business is done with people. So people skills matter. So a great way to get people skills, hone your people skills, is to try to raise them in your home. Very good. Okay. The one to do I have that I hope people walk away with is we both, men and women, belittle on our LinkedIn profile anything to do with parenting. We, we treat it as like a black mark. Uh, uh, like this, this hidden thing, especially people who have taken time off. We, we try to cover it up uh, from our professional experience. And my invitation is to consider not doing that and is to consider saying, you know, here's who I am as a whole person. It, it's basically Cheryl Sandberg said, hey, your corporate, your career path is not a corporate ladder. It's not linear. It's a it's a jungle gym. And what I'm trying to do with this book is to validate that parenting is a reasonable spot on that corporate jungle gym. Well, I I, uh, I am going to hit you up for a signed copy 
of that book. <laughs> I, I can certainly see where that would fit because you're right. There is, I mean, not just people skills. I, I think, you know, modern parenting involves tremendous time management requirements. I think it, I think it, it obviously there's, there's, there's economics that are involved. There's conflict resolution. There's so many things that actually you can take from that. Um, it's, I've never thought about that, but the more you talk about it, the more inherent sense it makes to me. So like I said, I'm going to hit you up for an autographed copy of the book. Um, I can't wait. So, um, we, we need to wrap up. I think this is the longest podcast we've actually done. And this is number 37 or 38, something like that. So I'm not sure if congratulations are in order or not, but it, it is what it is. Um, if people want to contact you about writing a book or, or maybe just figuring out where, what, you know, what lessons their children should be teaching them, uh, how can they best contact you? So my personal email is B-E-A, which is my name, be like boy, at B-E-A-W-R-A-Y.com. Okay, and uh, that's going to do it for today's program. I'd like to thank B. Ray so much for joining us and sharing her expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Bradyware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. 